0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church
1: in Raleigh. Prayer is this opportunity to connect with the Creator of the universe. What, what an amazing concept. Think about that. Prayer is an opportunity to connect with the Creator of the universe. How amazing.
0: Prayer. Almost everyone agrees that prayer is vital for our lives. Even people that don't attend church regularly will admit to praying during times of crises in their lives. The question is, if everyone agrees that prayer is important, why do so many people struggle with having a significant prayer life?
1: I don't know what your individual prayer life looks like. I know what the statistics are.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Our series entitled Daniel Unshakable Faith Unbreakable Promise is moving into its last stages. If you've been with us throughout the study, you know that Pastor Clay began walking through the book of Daniel at the beginning of this year. We certainly hope that we've all gained new insight regarding God's faithfulness, the accuracy of God's Word, and other truths. Today, however, we turn to as important a subject as anything we could look at. I'm talking about the discipline of prayer.
1: Daniel understood the importance of prayer so much so that he was willing to stop and to pray to the God that he knew who could hear and answer his prayer.
0: Pastor Clay is going to show us today in part of Daniel chapter 9 and in chapter 10 how important prayer was for Daniel and what resulted from Daniel's prayer life. We'll see how important prayer is for our lives and what obstacles we face when we pray. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay.
1: I was, uh, when I was in seminary a number of years ago, I was sitting in a a J-term, it was called a J-term class, it was a class that took place uh, in between normal semesters in January, and I was taking a class, and I think the name of the class, if I remember right, it was The Message in Your Emotions, that was, I know that was the title of Dr. McDill's book, it may have been the title of the class, but it had to do with uh, emotions and and how that fits into the life of a follower of Jesus, And, and so part of the class, it was... To be productive or helpful for counseling, but also just in, in preaching and communicating the Word of God. What do we need to know about the message in and, 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 and our emotions? What do we need to know about our emotions and how we communicate with people and that sort of thing? Anyway, uh, the professor, Dr. McDill, was talking about something, uh, and, he, and, he, and he mentioned a particular text in, in the book of Matthew, and we were just talking about um, God's power and how uh, you see or when you see God's power flow in our lives. And uh, in that moment, I am mean, sitting there, you know, minding my own business, uh, doing class, and God spoke to me. Um, and I, you know, uh, I tell people this, God is not, I'm not like one of these persons that every other day, uh, you know, God just, you know, speaks out loud, and I don't mean it was audible, but I mean, God just spoke to me. And, and here's what he said. I was in my, fr- I think, I was in my first, it was my first year, I just about completed one year of, uh, my, my, working on my master's, and, uh, and this thought came in my head, this thought came in my head. The power doesn't flow until authority is established this, that thought just came into my head. the power doesn't flow until authority is established and God said to me, that's what you're going to preach in chapel chapel meaning at seminary uh, every year the graduate students uh, three students are selected to for student preaching week and I was like two years away from graduation so i I, I can't tell you descri- i just it was it was weird, but sure enough uh I got, two years later, I got the call, Dr. McDill called me, he said, uh, you've been selected for Student Preaching Week, which was a great honor and, you know, it was, it was a wonderful experience. But that, that, that moment when, when God spoke, it's an, it's an amazing thing. And like I said, I, I know that that type of clarity, that type of whatever, I know that doesn't go on all the time. God doesn't, he, at least in my life, he doesn't do that all the time. But but when those opportunities occur or when those instances occur where you, you can't explain it and you don't know, but you just know God has spoken, God has, has met you in some part of your life or some reason or some whatever, it, it's truly an amazing thing. Uh, prayer affords us uh, that opportunity. Again, not that every prayer experience is, you know, This audible God speaking and saying, whatever. But prayer is this opportunity to connect with the creator of the universe. What what an amazing concept. Think about that. Prayer is an opportunity to connect with the creator of the universe. How amazing is that? Open your Bibles, uh, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, to uh, the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, we're continuing our study, we're working our way through, we're moving closer and closer uh, to the end of our, of our series in the book of Daniel, we're in chapter 9. Actually, time permitting today, and this is going to sound kind of crazy to you, we're kind of in chapter 9 and in chapter 10, and I'm kind of, mic- it's, it's crazy, but I, I want you to see something as we walk through there, and we'll see how far uh, we get in it. But we started in chapter 9 last week, and we were in the middle of this, this instance where Daniel is, is praying this prayer, this prayer of repentance. And last week talked about repentance and what that looks like in our lives. Now that's an old-fashioned word, but it's still a very relevant term as far as God is concerned. And what that means, what it actually means when we talk about repentance. Well, uh, we're picking it up in Daniel chapter 9 and continuing on just a little bit in 9, and then some, as I said, time permitting, in 10. But, but Daniel affords us the opportunity, and I just... I just think it's there. Daniel affords us the opportunity to talk today about prayer. I, I don't know what everybody's, every person in this room, I don't know what your particular individual prayer life looks like. I know what the statistics are. I, I know what the statistics are of how much time people, even pastors, how much time pastors spend in prayer, how, or how little time, oftentimes. Maybe I should put it that way. Daniel chapter 9 is where we are, and I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 23 this morning. Hey, uh, thanks for being here. You've honored the Lord with your presence. Uh, my prayer is that God's word has its effect in all of our lives, and that you leave here today saying, it's good. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Not only to honor him, but to, to learn from him. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, listen to this. And I know if you're, if you're new to this series, we're jumping in the middle of it, we're jumping in the middle of this chapter, but... Uh, Hang with us here. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... We talked all about that last week. ...and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God... ...while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, "O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message And gain understanding of the vision. Pray with me. Father, thanks uh, for this opportunity to look into the prayer life of Daniel. Uh, By all accounts, he uh, had an amazing uh, prayer life. I think every one of us in this room would probably say, I I I want a great prayer life. I I want a powerful prayer life. I want an effective prayer life and uh, if we're honest probably some of us would uh, would have to say but my life my prayer life doesn't seem very effective I, I don't know how much power i have i'm not sure if this is working i i don't know how to spend the time uh, lord there's lots of struggles especially in the culture in which we live uh, and so i'm just asking today that as we look at some uh, some realities uh, about prayer that uh, you would open our hearts and minds uh, that your word which is quick and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it would do surgery on our hearts and on our lives. You would accomplish your purposes and that uh, specifically, uh, Father God, contextually, that, that each man and woman in this place today uh, would walk out of here with a renewed commitment to prayer life, whether they have a super strong one right now or whether prayer for them is, is virtually absent. Uh, may we walk out of here with a fresh determination to be a man or A woman of prayer. In Christ's strong name, amen. Okay, let's talk about, as as quickly as we can, four realities of prayer. We'll see if we get to all four of them or not. Uh, But let's start with this one. There is the practice of prayer. Let's start with the practice of prayer. In verse 20, Daniel says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel... And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God while I was praying. As I said, we started this in chapter 9 last week. This whole, the, all leading up to this is all one a prayer that Daniel is praying and he 's praying repentant. we talked about why that was it was near the end of the seventy years that they 'd been uh, in captivity and, and what Jeremiah had said about that and fulfilling the prophecy, and all those kind of things. But the point is Daniel was praying, and it 's pretty evident. Throughout the book of Daniel, that prayer plays a significant role in the life of Daniel. Would you say, if you've you've ever read or if you know anything, or if if you've been with us through this series, would you agree that prayer plays a significant role in the book and in the life of Daniel? Yes, you do. (laughs) In chapter 6, we're we're told that Daniel specifically had three uh, separate and distinct times during the day that he would pray. Now, we're not told how, how long those prayer times were? Were they were they five minutes, 50 minutes? Were they an hour? How long were they? We're not told necessarily how long that they were. But what we are told is that Daniel understood the importance of prayer so much so that he was willing to stop whatever he was doing, whatever his day included, whatever the expectations were on his life, he took time to stop and to pray to the God that he knew who could hear and answer his prayer. It is the practice of prayer. And you and I quite honestly, need this practice in our lives if it is not there. Uh, let me give you just a couple of passages of Scripture. Maybe you've read them before, maybe you haven't. But in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 18, Apostle Paul says, Pray uh, in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Uh, there is in this verse uh, this idea that, man, this is something... This is a part of your life. This is ongoing. This is this is just who you are at all times and on every occasion. Always looking for opportunity to pray, communicate with however you want to put it. Prayer is that word that we use. It's it's a biblical word. It's fine, but whatever it is that that I. That I connect with God and I have this communication going on with God. Paul says you've got to do it at all times and not just for yourself, for, for other people and, and for other reasons as well. Uh, how about this one? You know, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Short and sweet. Pray without ceasing. Now, obviously that doesn't mean that every waking moment of our, our life we're, you know, and God, and let me thank you for this. And, and, and Father, you're awesome. And Father, i praying this. And you know, and and no, no boss, don't don't interrupt me. I'm praying. <laughs> it doesn't mean that we're you know, but it means that, that it is without ceasing. That it is the practice of my life that I'm going to communicate with God. If He is the one who has all the answers, has all the power, uh, has the, the future laid you know, all these, why wouldn't I be communicating with Him? It is the practice of prayer. If we're going to practice it, uh, let me say this to you. Here's what you need to do. First, schedule it. Now, that that may sound so uh, worldly or mechanical or unspiritual. But folks, schedule it. If if, if you have to do that in your life, schedule it. I'm talking about pull out your phone, put it in there. If you use a hard copy calendar, old school, put it on that calendar. Schedule in a time that you are going to spend with God. I'm not talking about, yes, there's that time where we're just talking to God throughout the course of the day. That's fine. That's prayer. That's communication. But I'm talking about this time, as Daniel had, where he would set aside specific amount of time and he would, and he would go to the God of the universe and he would communicate. you got to schedule it. you got to. In this, in this busy, full overflowing culture in which we live, right? Right? Are you not, is it not full? Is your schedule not full? And don't we schedule the things that are important in our lives? If you have a doctor's appointment, do you put it on your calendar? Why? Because you're going to die if you don't go to the doctor. I don't, I don't know, what it might depend. But if you go, it's important, right? If, if, if you have children, if your child has a recital or a ball game, is that in your schedule? Sure it is. If, uh, if you have a sales meeting coming up, a sales appointment somewhere, are you going to put that down? Absolutely. If you get an email saying that, that, that your department is having a, uh, department wide meeting, is that going to be in right then you're going to put it in, you're going to put it in your calendar right then. Why? Because you know, you can't miss those things. They, they're too important. You can't miss them. So why, why wouldn't we, why would we possibly not do that with prayer? With this opportunity to communicate with the God of the universe, who loved us so much that he, he died for us, and He invites us, encourages us, wants us to come to Him. Why wouldn't you? Got to schedule it. Here's why you got to schedule it or connect it to scheduling. Not only do you have to schedule it, you got to protect it. And I'll we'll talk more about some of those reasons in a moment. But you know this: you live in this world, you live with your schedule. If you don't protect that time, what will happen to it? Oh yeah, something else will come up on it every time. Oh yeah, no, I I I meant to, but but then this came up, and or, or that happened, and and this you got to learn how to protect your time. You know, guys, you know how like we do uh, uh, Friday night date night with our wives, guys, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. We, we got to protect that time, right? We, we protect Because if you don't protect that time, something might come in the way or whatever. And I, it, I have to, that happens to me sometimes too, and I, I, I get in trouble. But, you know, we have to try and protect. We got to protect that time because it's important to us. Why wouldn't the time with God, why, why it, well, you got, we got to protect it, okay? So you got to schedule it. You got to protect it. And then this is profound. Here's the third one. Folks, you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You got to stop making up excuses, and I'm not. I'm not picking on you. I'm just. I know my own life. I know the struggles that I can have. You got to stop making excuses. You got to stop putting it off. You got to stop saying, "Oh yeah, I know. I need to do that." Or I'm going to And you got to do it. Why don't y'all say that out loud? Do, do it. it. That's pretty good. You you just have to. At some point, you just got to say, "I'm going to do this." Or can I tell you this? This is the truth. This three years from now, you'll be saying, "Yeah." No, I I need to do that. I, you'll hear another message on prayer. I, I need to be doing that. Eight years from now, man, I, I know I'm. Just, you know, and then, and Lord willing, if you're if you're still alive at ninety two, I need to start praying. I, 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 you, know, you just you got to do it. Listen, uh, a few years ago, I got motorcycle fever. I'm sure it's some sort of midlife crisis thing or whatever. But I got motorcycle fever and I wanted a motorcycle. And so I started researching motorcycles. And I looked at them online. I looked at them in magazines. I went and looked at them on person in person. And, you know, I had all these kinds of questions about motorcycles. You know, do I want a cruiser? Do I want a sport bike? Do I want a touring bike? Do I want a sport touring bike? Do I want a Harley? Do I want an Asian-built bike? Do I want a European-manufactured bike? Do I want an upright? Do I want a more laid-down? Do I want a mid-sized bike? bike? Do I want a larger bike? You know, all these questions. Just blah, blah, blah. And so I would just, I would constantly shoot stuff to my sons, you know, and I'd send them pictures. Hey, hey, look at this one. What do you think about this one? And what do they and that? And then on and on. I mean, this was three. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't say three years. Forty-two days, six, and uh, yeah. It, yeah, this was, this was a three-year odyssey. I mean, I'm shooting it. And so at one point, I'm shooting, uh, you know, hey, what do you think? about? It? Do you like this one? What do you, what do you know about this one? What? So at one point, uh, one of my sons, Todd, uh, emailed back, and he said, Dad, it's time to either pull the trigger or put the gun down. <laughs> when it comes to prayer, it's time to pull the trigger. It's time to pull the trigger, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how long you'll live. I don't know how much going on in your life. I don't know, how, but but I know you need prayer, and you just you just got to do it. It's the practice of prayer. Okay, um, let, let's go on. Let's look at another. One. Let's talk about the attitude of prayer. Let's talk about the attitude of prayer in verse uh, twenty one. Listen, listen, Dan. He says, while I was uh, still speaking in prayer. Then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me, watch this, in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now, it's interesting that Daniel talks about the time of the evening offering, or the evening sacrifice, your translation may have. What's interesting about it is that there hadn't been an evening offering in nearly 70 years. Ever since the Babylonians crushed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple... The sacrificial system had ceased. There had been no evening sacrifice for nearly seventy years, and yet here's Daniel talking about now about the time of the evening sacrifice. But besides, even if the Jerusalem were still there, even if the temple were still there, even if the sacrifice were still going on, where's Daniel? He's in Babylon. He's hundreds of miles away from the temple. And yet he says, now, at about the time of the evening sacrifice. You know, I'm telling you, it's telling us something about the attitude of Daniel. Daniel's still on God time. Because that's what the sacrifice was all about. It was all about this relationship with God and, and, and this faith and, and our demonstration of faith in God. And he says, about the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel's on God's time. His attitude has to do with God and not with himself. Now, the evening uh, offering, the evening uh, sacrifice would have taken place about three... Took place about three o'clock in the afternoon. What we hear in here is that when that time rolls around, Daniel is exhausted, extremely weary. However, it puts it right there. Now we don't know how long Daniel had been praying, but the implication is he's been praying a while, hasn't he? If he if he gets to three o'clock in the afternoon and he is spent, he is physically, emotionally, spiritually spent. He's exhausted. Verse 3, well, we read it last week, but verse 3 of this chapter uh, tells us that he was also uh, fasting during this time. Which almost certainly means that he went without food or and, and water throughout the course of a typical Middle Eastern day. Verse 3 also tells us that he, he put on sackcloth and put ashes on his head. All of it a demonstration of, of humility and repentance. You see, it's the attitude of prayer. And Daniel's attitude was toward God and not toward himself. Even even in that prayer last week that we looked at, when he starts talking about that prayer, he starts talking about the fact that that God, you're giving us what we deserve. We deserve this. We've acted this way. We've rebelled against you. And what's coming against us, we absolutely deserve. You don't hear anything from Daniel about, "I, I didn't deserve this. How did I end up? Down in Babylon, I I was one of the good guys. I was one of the godly people. I was trying to do it the right way. It was them other folks that weren't weren't doing what God said to do. How did this happen? Not from Daniel. Daniel just owns it. He just says, "We've sinned. We've done this thing. God, you're giving us exactly what we deserve." Now, God, watch what he does. He says, "Now, God, why don't you why don't you do this for your name's sake for your people?" for your city, for your nation. See, it's about God. It's about the right attitude in prayer. Not about yourself, but about God. Let me me tell you what that looks like. Let me show you what that looks like. A couple of ideas about attitudes that you can check. First one looks like this. Uh, What is my attitude about prayer? Ask yourself that question. When it comes to prayer, what's my attitude about prayer? Why do I pray? Do I pray uh, because I've got a certain uh, wish list that I need to give to God? Oh, I know He knows everything, but somehow it says pray, so I need to tell Him about all the things that I need or all the things that I want to see happen in my life. Is, is that prayer? Or is it because, you know, I've, I know it's, it's part of the spiritual to-do list, so I've got I to check that off. You know, pray, check. Read my Bible, check. And so, and so I know I need to do that, and so i got to... Is that is Is that what prayer is? Or is prayer something else to me? Is prayer this opportunity to engage the living God? To come into the very presence of the living God? Of the one who spoke the world into existence and holds it together by his might, by his power? The one who, who knows the beginning as, as easy as he knows the end? I'm, I'm pretty sure out of those two options about what prayer should be, God prefers the latter. The latter. As a matter of fact, that's what God is. that's always been about. It's always been about God's desire for us to desire to come into his presence. God doesn't, God doesn't need you or me to worship him. That's not what it is. We should worship him. He's worthy. But that, don't think that's because that's God had to have that because he's a God. It's, it's the desire to want to be. What is my attitude about prayer? Why do I pray? Second, what is my attitude in prayer? Now, listen, I know this is extremely difficult for us, especially in the culture in which we live, because we we are surrounded by a culture. We are inundated with a in in a culture that says, hey, it's all about me. It's all about my life and what I want or what makes me feel good or what I need or what I think or what I want or what I you know, it's all about that. What is my attitude in prayer? Is that? Is it just because I, I want God to know all I'm going through? I want to. I want to vent. I want to. I need help. I want to do this. I want to do that. At what point does it ever become about God? You know. You know what I'm saying? I have a confession to make. Uh, some churches that I've been a part of, or churches that I've served, uh, ministered in, and some some of those churches have uh, have had you know what what's called the old fashioned Wednesday night prayer meeting. Some of y'all can remember that term, and some and churches, there are churches still do, Wednesday night uh, prayer meeting. I have a confession to make. Uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting, in many respects, used to drive me absolutely insane. used to just, Wednesday night prayer meeting would, would drive me crazy. Because a uh, typical Wednesday night prayer meeting uh, looks like this. If you grew up in, in church then, and ever went to Wednesday night prayer meeting, you probably would agree with this. Uh, Wednesday night prayer meeting would look like this. Ten minutes of singing, 20 minutes of a sermonette from the pastor... At least 20 minutes of going over the prayer list. Y'all know what the prayer list is? 20 minutes of going over the prayer list. And then maybe 5 to 8 minutes of praying. Of which 99% of the praying would be about everybody on the list that we just listed out loud. That we just went over. About so and so's struggle with cancer or so and so's... Trying to find a job, or so and so's uh, got high blood pressure, and, or, and you know, it's all this. I'll be honest with you. I, one, one church where I served, I went in there one night and I said, We're not doing this anymore. I said, Here's what we're gonna do we're gonna sing one song, I'm gonna bring a three to five minute devotional, and then we're gonna pray. We're not gonna go over the prayer list. We're not going to talk about the prayer list. We will hand you a prayer list, but we're going to pray. If you have somebody on that list you want to pray for, pray for them. Pray for them out loud. Pray for them by yourself, whatever. But we are, it's Wednesday night prayer meeting. We're going to pray. I know it's a novel idea. Wednesday night prayer meeting, we're going to pray. You would have thought that I brought a portrait of Satan into the sanctuary and hung it right over the cross of Jesus. I mean, it was like, not read the prayer list. My Aunt Gertrude is having spleen surgery, and people need to know that. Listen, I, I, I'm not. I, I truly I had people drop out. I had to probably to leave Wednesday night prayer meeting because I spent too much time in prayer. That was. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for other people. We should. God encourages us to. He wants us to. I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. We should. God wants us to. He wants us to communicate our heart, our our feelings, our our aches, our pains, our our troubles. He wants us to do all that stuff with it. I'm just just saying at what point does it ever become about about God and not just about us all the time? What's my attitude in prayer? And, And then real quickly, one more. What is my attitude from prayer? You can't hang around God and not be changed by God. You can't do it. I don't think. What does prayer do in my life? I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with fear? Do you struggle with lack of faith? Do you struggle with temptation? Now, I know all those things are there, right? They're always there. Crouching at our door. They're always coming at us. What I'm saying is, is do you find peace in your life? Do you find yourself being less anxious in the middle of circumstance? Do you find yourself uh, with with a greater sense of of God's in control and I don't have to be fearful and and all this kind of stuff? That should be a result of prayer. Prayer should change me. Now, prayer may do some other things, but prayer should change me. What is my attitude from or as a result of prayer. Okay, let me give you a third one. Uh, Third reality is the enemy of prayer. Let me read uh, the first part of verse 23, and then we'll see if we jump into uh, chapter uh, 10 there. First part of verse 23 uh, says this, watch this. At the beginning, now watch this, at the beginning of your supplications, in other words, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, at the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you. So what do we know? We know that Daniel is praying. He started praying way back in verse 1 of chapter 9. We know that Daniel started praying. We know from verse 23 that as soon as he started praying, God issued the decree for the answer to go to Daniel. We also know that Daniel didn't get an answer. Gabriel doesn't show up until the until the hour of the evening sacrifice. And we know that he's, like I said, we don't know when he started praying, how long it's been, but we know that he is exhausted. And so the implication is that he's been praying a long time. So if the answer was issued as soon as he began to pray, why is Daniel just now receiving, receiving the answer? Whether it's four hours later or eight hours later or two days later or whatever the case may be. I know we don't know the amount of time, but what, what's, what's going on? Here's what I'm getting at. There is at least a hint that prayers, there's at least a hint in verse 23 that prayers can be hindered, that there is an enemy of prayer. And if, if in chapter 9 there is a hint of it, it it's full-blown in chapter 10. And that's why I kind of want to deal with these chapters, this little bit of chapter 9 today and, and chapter 10 this morning together. Uh, let's read, uh, we're going to go J- Daniel 10, I know we're jumping into it, and we're going into verse 10, I believe it is, and reading through verse 14. Daniel 10, 10 through 14, now watch, we're talking about the enemy of prayer. You with me? Okay. Then behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Daniel, this will come out, but Daniel has been in another extended time of just seeking God's face. He said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day, watch this, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, there's that attitude, your words were heard. Isn't that awesome? Your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Here I am. I'm the answer, Daniel. Here I come. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. And then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision pertains to the days yet future. Daniel 10, 10, jumps into this, we're jumping into the middle of it, I understand that. But chapter 9 may have hinted at it. Chapter 10 brings it out quite clear that there is an enemy to prayer. There, are, there, there is a work going on that can hinder prayer. Gabriel refers to him. Gabriel refers to him as the Prince of Persia. Who is this? Who is this Prince of Persia? Well, folks, I, I, I don't. I'm not making this up. I don't think it, it's a big stretch. The context uh, makes it pretty clear that that we're not talking about a, a human prince here, but we are in fact talking about a a spiritual prince, to use that term, because that's what the, the Bible uses. The Prince of Persia is in fact. Uh, a demon with jurisdiction over a particular geographic area—that's where I put it. Where I put it, geographic area, or possibly even like a, a group of people, or, or something like that. Now, if all of this sounds a bit too fanciful for you, if all this sounds a little bit too—whoa, wait a minute—demons, spirits. If, if all this sounds a bit too fanciful to you, I propose to you that part of the reason is because we live in a culture that has taught us to ignore the supernatural. We live in a culture that is enlightened. And in fact, I believe we have become, quite honestly, too smart for our own good. We, we live in a culture that, at least to some degree, has taught us that if I, if I can't see it, if I can't taste it or touch it or... Or or, or or, hear it, if it's not empirical, if I can't hold it in my hand, then, the, then, then it's, it's not true. Or at least I have no way of knowing that it's true. But the Bible makes it quite clear that there are demonic forces at work in the world. Um, Ezekiel, I, I think, chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, Revelation 12, all record basically the fall of Satan. Uh, Revelation 12 indicating or certainly implying that, that when that happened, uh, one-third of the, of the heavenly host and one-third of the angelic beings fell, sided with Satan and fell with him in the fall and were cast out of heaven. Well, how many is a third of the angels uh, that are now, we now refer to as demons? How many is that? I have no idea. But what I do know is that Scripture teaches them as a reality. What I do know is that Jesus certainly speaks of demonic activity as if, as if it is real. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 25, at least in those two places. He, he assumes that it's true and has interaction with demonic force. So if Jesus got that wrong, then we got a whole lot bigger problems to worry about than, than whether they're actually demons or not. There is an enemy to prayer. To your life in general, I think we can safely say. But there is an enemy to prayer. Now, here is a couple ideas what you need to know about the enemy of prayer. We have a real enemy; he is real, despite what you know the world may scoff or may say whatever. Folks, I am just telling you, we have a real enemy. In Ephesians uh, chapter six, I think it is uh, ten to thirteen. A final word, uh, Paul says, "Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor." He's talking about the defenses that you need for life. Put on all of God's armor so that, watch this, you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now watch. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Th- there's more to this, Paul's saying, than, than what you think there is. You, you, think, you think you and your wife just can't get along. You, you think that your boss is being a, a rear end. You, you, you think this, but there's more to this than you realize. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, watch this, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. The the implication is, in some way, for some reason, I don't pretend to understand everything about why God lets things go on or why they have... But I'm just telling you, there seems to be some type of hierarchical structure within the demonic realm. And that there are demons that apparently have jurisdiction over particular parts of the earth or over particular cities or over particular whatever and their purpose is to disrupt to destroy anything that would bring glory to god and that includes you and your life and that specifically includes your prayer life because your prayer life ladies and gentlemen is an extremely powerful thing they're real they really are. I, I, Some of you've heard me tell this story before, but I know some of you haven't. Uh, and, and I could I could tell you so many stories, but I remember one particular time that I, I went and visited, a, visited a, a lady that had attended a church where we were attending. I went out to to share the message of Jesus with her and uh, sat down and walked through uh, the gospel. and And she had a she had a cat, and uh, this cat, uh, you know, was a cat, and and so. You know, I'm walking through, and the cat is, you know, kind of agitated, and the cat's going, and she has to put the cat outside and say, oh, I don't know why uh, he's acting this way, uh, never acts this way, or whatever. And I'm, I'm telling you, when I get to the heart of the gospel, the message of, of the fact that we're sinners and we're separated from God, and Christ came to redeem us, that we can enter into a relationship with him by faith. When I got to that part, that cat went psycho. That cat jumped up into the screen. This is in Florida. And all everybody's door windows are open and stuff. Cat jumped up in the screen and just started clawing crazy at that screen and going, Wah! making sounds that no cat should be able to make. And it just it just went crazy. And the lady couldn't get over it. She said, "My cat never acts this way. I don't my cat. I don't know what's going on with my cat. I don't. I don't know." What. Now listen, you can you can tell you can say, well, that's just that's just a coincidence." I'm telling you, demonic activity is a real thing. And I I couldn't tell you how many times I've been sharing the messages and I've been right at that point where where I'm trying to bring the person to place where they're willing to accept Christ their Savior and the phone will ring or somebody will knock on the door or or, uh, a tea kettle will go off or something will happen that will suddenly disrupt whatever this opportunity to share the message. I'm telling you, they're real. Uh, Not only are they uh, real, but let's look at this. They're powerful. Now, I want to be careful here. I don't want to give the enemy too much credit. I really don't. But, I, but it is naive on your part or my part to, to think, oh, well, you know, that, 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 they can't do it. That doesn't matter. They're not going to hinder my prayer life. They're not going to whatever. You just need to understand they are powerful. In, in, uh, I think it's in Luke chapter 8, the story of, of Jesus' encounter with the demoniac in, in the region called the Gadarenes. And the text in there says that that they constantly were trying to bind him, put chains on him and bindings on him, and nothing could hold him. He was constantly breaking loose because of the the demonic possession within him. Peter said this. Maybe you've read this, 1 Peter 5. uh, Keep awake. Watch out. Watch at all times. The devil is working against you. Listen. This is not not a joke. Married couple, this is not a joke. person struggling with, with this temptation or that issue in your life, The devil is working against you. He is walking around like a hungry lion with his open mouth. He's looking for somebody to eat. Just eat up your life. Just destroy any semblance of your relationship with God. Not that he can take your relationship with God, but that he can make you... He he is powerful. But listen. Here we go. We're getting ready to close. We also need to remember this. We have a defeated enemy. We do have a defeated enemy. I'm I'm saying we can't just... Act like it doesn't matter, we can't, but I'm telling you, we have a defeated enemy. We, we never need, we, we, we can't ever forget that reality. Look look at this uh, passage of scripture, Matthew 25. Um, Jesus talking about the judgment and the end times. He says, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. Watch this, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. God's already, he, he's already prepared a place because he's already defeated that that evilness of the world. 1 John 3.8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Watch this. The son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. Don't ever forget that. That's why Christ came. To break the bonds that you and I were under. And then finally 1 John 4.4. 4, you are from God little children. And have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you. Than he who is in the world. He is a defeated enemy. That doesn't mean that we're not alert. That doesn't mean that we don't pay attention. That doesn't mean that we just walk into any and every situation blindly. But we do need to remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world and that he is a defeated enemy and that in Christ's power, we can conquer. Now, let me just say this, and I'm gonna close right here and we'll, we'll finish this up next week. Let me just say this. Some of you perhaps have been praying for something in your life for a long time. I, I, I can't begin to sit here and tell you What God is or isn't going to do in any particular situation. I wouldn't try and pretend to know what the mind of God is and why God does what God does. But I can tell you that in some instances, uh, it may be that your prayers are being hindered in some way. It may be that the enemy is trying to keep the answer from coming because the enemy knows when the answer comes, God will be glorified, God will be magnified, and the kingdom will expand as a result of whatever God does i I can't say in each particular situation but i can tell you daniel was a man of prayer and even his prayers this mighty prayer warrior he found the enemy coming up against him delaying the answer i don't know what all that means i don't know how long it means or what all it takes maybe it depends on how much we're praying but let me close with this i'll go back to a question that I, I meant to say earlier that I think would be a good question for all of us to answer as we, as we close today. We'll finish, we'll wrap it up next week because i got one other reality about prayer and then we'll look at the interpretation uh, to uh, Daniel's vision in chapter 9. Uh, but uh, the question uh, basically is this, would I hear from God more often or more clearly if my prayers to God looked more like Daniel's prayers to God? Now that, that's a that's a non judgmental statement I don't know your prayers may look just like daniel's you you may spend hours agonizing in prayer and and, I, and by the way, I'm not saying that every time we pray it should be this agonizing work up a sweat uh days on end i, I don't I don't know there there are times there certainly are times for that ladies and gentlemen but I'm not saying that every prayer has to be like that but but I think that's a good question for us to ask ourselves if i if I don't see God's hand moving if I'm not sensing uh, that he's uh, m- Responding if, if I don't think that I'm receiving what I ought to be receiving out of prayer, then maybe I need to ask myself this question. Would I hear from God more often or more clearly if my prayers to God looked more like Daniel's prayers to God? It, it's a good question. It's a good challenge. In this busy, crazy, accelerated world in which we live, to be able to slow down and say, whoa, I've got to pray.
0: Thanks, Pastor, for that timely reminder of the importance of prayer in our lives. As you heard Pastor Clay mention today, the practice of prayer is very important for our lives. But it's not just the practice, it's the attitude that's important as well. We have a real enemy. And like Daniel, the answer to our prayers may be hindered at times by the enemy's work. But because of God's great power available to us and His great love for us, we can wait confidently for the results results that include not only answers to our prayers, but a deeper, more intimate relationship with our God. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross-Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross, and it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm
1: not the water, I'm not the bread.